0: to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark.
1: Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan, here with Mark as usual, episode 179, March the 5th, 2000. And 21, 20, 21, Mark, and we're battling our way through the COVID. What sort of recovery year, I suppose, we're going to be calling this. Hopefully, and here in Australia, they've started releasing or getting the vaccine out, haven't they, Mark? To the um, to the first line health workers, etc. I know some of the other countries where our listeners are are well in advance with their vaccine rollout, so. Um, I don't know where vets will be, Mark, but I think we might be slightly higher up the list than some of the other parts of the population. But I haven't seen anything state in that or not. Have you, Mark?
0: I, I, it's a little bit um, unclear because I don't think they actually stick. Um, it's sort of like refers to one document, then another document. I think we fit into Category 1B, which will be towards the end of this month they start spreading the... the uh, the doses around to the 1b category um but um yeah it's pretty amazing that we i i am like gobsmacked that um within a year um uh and these vaccines on uh, at least initially would appear to be um very effective um and um and really changing um the the course i don't think we'll be without coronavirus but um certainly the the uh um the uh the vaccines made a world of difference. And we'll get ours soon, Brendan.
1: They're very effective at mind control, aren't they? <laughs> these um vaccines, according to the conspiracy theorist. Yes. I think it almost certainly be like the the flu vaccine, won't it, Mark? That annual 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 jabs, I expect, down the track, and they have to keep keep changing them. So Work wise, well, yeah, as usual, lots of interesting things happening, um, and some not interesting things. Mark had a had a frustrating case with a um, a snake um, owner. Um, unfortunately, had um, had a snake that um, passed away. That we did some swabs for the viruses, Mark, and came back positive for two oh, wow. of the um, viruses, um, and. Unfortunately, well, I'm, I'll be phoning the client tomorrow. Um, when I've got the, got the results just back through, they do have other snakes at home. Um, so I'll be giving them the bad news that I recommend swabbing all of the snakes in the collection. So, and they, they're not, um, they may struggle with that as far as, um, costs go as well. Um, unfortunately, the snake that passed away, um, was flown down from another state, Mark. Um, so I'm going to strongly advise that they contact the breeder and um, make sure that they know that the snake that was sent down interstate was was positive um, for the NIDA virus, Mark, and and mycoplasma as well. So um, yeah, that's going to be a bit of a sad um, discussion with that with that owner there, um, and it must be hard, you know, if if with these people who. You know, I don't think we put ourselves in the shoes of our clients often enough with, with cases like this where, gee, it would really um, depress you, wouldn't it, um, if, if you found out something like that? It's
0: an interesting um, case that you're dealing with, Brendan, but it, it is something that seems to happen to us in exotic animal practice with increasing frequency. And like you said, it's uh, it's difficult enough, enough for us to be delivering um Bad news, uh, really bad news. But uh, for our clients who've often committed a huge amount of financial resources, not to mention the emotional resources, to um, literally be given the paltry solution of um, of uh, um, Carl and Burn and Restock, um, it's uh, it's a it's a very difficult circumstance and and it, I've been really pleased with our reptile clients. We, we are getting an increasing number of people who are interested in getting those virus tests done um, but I still don't know that they're all emotionally equipped to deal with the consequences um, and so, yeah, I feel for your client to get that phone call tomorrow.
1: Yes, well... That started off on a bit of a downer there, Mark. Um, what are you up to? <laughs> what, anything? We need some positive
0: news for our, for our well, listeners. Well, usually when we um, have our chit chat at the beginning of our podcast, we're l- reflecting on the last few days, but I'm sort of looking forward for the next few days, Brendan. As you know, I've acquired a quite um, small four-wheel drive, and, uh, and, and while I've been out in a four wheel drive a number of times. Um, I'd have no formal training. And um, and so I'm going to do a course, a four wheel drive course, accredited four wheel driver, Ma- Dr. Mark Simpson. Dr. Mark Simpson. <laughs> so, that, uh- Bachelor of Hoon. <laughs> <laughs> I could well be a bachelor because Kate's coming with me on the weekend. We're both doing it, so it might well be a bachelor by the end of it. <laughs> um, yeah, so as we were
1: talking off air before we started, I, I, ex- I expect that I'll probably – hopefully not, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if I. you send me a photo of, of the of the car on its roof um, with you with a little sideline saying, whoops, <laughs> um, I, I flipped the car. Yeah. So don't push it too far, Mark, just – Just stay safe and um, learn how to be safe with your four-wheel drive. That's the
0: plan. should be fun, though, Brendan.
1: Excellent. Well, let's jump into some news stories. Um, And thank you to our sponsors, as usual, our three main sponsors, Specialized Animal Nutrition, Microchips Australia. And the third one is, Mark...
0: Uh, uh, chemical essentials. Did you say chemical essentials? Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> yes, well done. I'm just checking you're not um, tweeting <laughs> while, we're,
1: while, while I'm talking now. Yes, um, thank you to our sponsors and our. Patreons, um, patreon.com. So we haven't mentioned it for a while. Go to patreon.com. Go to our website, vetgurus.com. Look at our past episodes and have a think about supporting us with a couple of dollars via Patreon. Um, News stories, Mark. You've got, uh, do you want to take the first I definitely
0: one? do. Now that I've just read it while well, you've been talking about our sponsors, <laughs> <laughs> um, The uh, at, at this it feels to me like um, this is one of uh, our. I suppose our podcast themes. Um, we've we've touched on a number of different studies which uh, examine different aspects of um, of this general idea, and um, and I like this one as well. This one uh, is uh, um, a, a, an article discussing how having pets um, is linked to. Better mental health and reducing loneliness during the lockdown. A particular coronavirus focus on the uh, wellness benefits of owning pets, and um, and as we have discussed in previous, uh, as we've discussed previous articles, sharing a home with a pet does seem to act as a buffer. Um, during psycho- again psychological stress and other um, health events, um, but this new survey suggests that's even more important during the period of lockdown. Um, it was a questionnaire, and more than ninety percent of the respondents said their pets helped them cope emotionally with the lockdown. Most people who took part in the research thought their pets uh, were a source of considerable support during the uh, March 23 to June 1 lockdown. So, um, and I, like many of these uh, discussions, Brendan, I, I sort of think that um, it's great to have Uh, the numbers and the the commentary from the respondents. But I don't know that it's that hugely surprising. One of the interesting findings, um, uh, there were 6,000 participants in the survey in the UK, um, and uh, 90% of them had at least one pet. Um, And one of the strange findings, well, strange, I I didn't expect it, was that the strength of the human-animal bond... Was determined to not be significantly different between um, species. So, if you had a, uh, um, you know, a cat or a dog, um, that um, you know the the um, bond was not that different. If you had a guinea pig or a rat or a or a fish, and I think that's um that's something that we've intuitively known in. Uh, exotic animal practice, but um, it's really probably the first time I've seen it statistically attested to.
1: Well, all those silly people spent many thousands of dollars to buy a a, a hard-to-get dog or a cat during COVID, could have gone out and bought a fish mark.
0: (laughs) And they should have.
1: Which is a a perfect segue to my story, (laughs) my news article, which... um, Hey, it's it's written as a positive story, but um, I'm not quite sure whether it is. (laughs) Have you seen this one? Yes. Um, The headline is, Disabled Fish Gets Special Life Jacket Made to Help Him Swim. And it's about, and it's got lots of puns in there, Mark. You could probably see that's a reason why I liked this one. An inventive UK woman has made waves online. Made waves. <laughs> yes. After outfitting a disabled goldfish with a customised life jacket so it wouldn't sink. And I'd like this, Mark. He, he had been living on the bottom of his tank upside down for some time. Stacey O'Shea, who runs a pet Sentry for a home in northeast Birmingham, told the news. Um, organisation. The unfortunate fishy had suffered from an untreatable swim bladder disorder, according to the article that left him sitting upside down on the bottom of his tank. Now, interestingly enough, I think if he had a decent (laughs) swim bladder problem mark and he was upside down, he wouldn't have been lasting very long there. But anyway, she managed to Do a MacGyver mark, and um, she got tiny plastic tubing and T junctions, normally used for air conditioning filters. And she weighed down the device with polystyrene, so the fish wouldn't float to the surface. So it, it, um, and she adjusted the ballast. Caught in, um, and you know, maybe one day she decided she wanted the fish to be near the top, so she lifted the ballast off a little bit, and then she'd allow him to see more of his home as the, as she, as she spoke about. So, um, and we'll have a link to the article and the um the little contraption that's around this goldfish. It looks like something out of um, um well, something out of a horror I was movie. Say, doesn't it? It, it looks like
0: a- Hannibal Lecter as a fish. It, it does.
1: It certainly does, there, yeah, yes. Um, uh, and then it talks a little bit about um, the, um, potentially swim bladder diseases, et cetera. One of the things that I don't like, Mark, it does not mention at all the fact that, um, um, which probably didn't happen, that she didn't take the fish to a vet. Um, to an exotic vet um, to get the problem fixed or diagnosed properly. It does seem All there the does fish. seem
0: to be a little bit of an overemphasis on aquarium store employees who were who were providing some advice for this this fish. Yes,
1: yes. Whereas if she had taken it to a veterinarian, she, she would have provided um, the fish with some um, excellent euthanasia solution. <laughs> um, um, and good advice um, so it's a bit of a tricky one this one Mike what do you think about this
0: um, look I, you've you've already hit the nail on the head as you usually do because I, I worry that the the these stories as they make it into the media um, they raise the Expectation of of people who own fish that they will be able to do the same thing and that they then avoid um, getting veterinary advice. And overall, I think it probably does a little bit of harm to the overall population. Um, It certainly shows the owner's dedication um, to making their fish have good quality of life, but I just wish um, we had better standing that you know it was automatic to talk to the vet about their um about these problems and 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 get a diagnosis and get a treatment and um make the fish completely well rather than make it look like Hannibal Lecter (laughs) (laughs) yes well said
1: Mark well said um Interesting story, never, nevertheless. Um, well, let's jump into it. We've got a uh, – we were going to do a film review and I'm just still debating whether or not we should do this film review, Mark, this week what, what, or not. Um,
0: I think we'll leave it this week, but but it's, we've been working our way up to it for some time now. We have. It's It's a bit of an interesting one. It's
1: one that I suggested you look at. It's a bit of a classic old science fiction film, but we will – Let's do it next week, Mark. Let's do it next week. Um, and we'll jump into the new story because this is one that you, well, you su- suggested half of this. It's sort of a two-parter, isn't it? And it's uh, chronic respiratory disease in rodents, which we have covered previously as far as the actual syndrome and the um, causes of it, the etiology of it, and the, and the basic sort of treatment um, modalities for it. But... This time we're going to chat a little bit about um, control of it, so not, not the actual medical um, treatment aspects of it, but the other general sort of um, care of the animal that has chronic respiratory disease, that rat or that mouse, um, that um, owners and, and vets may, may forget about, Mark, and they just get stuck on the, you know, what antibiotics or bronchodilators, et cetera, to, to to use on that animal. And then we're going to have a little... Quick deep dive into um, the ethics of treating these chronic respiratory disease cases. So, let's get stuck into the control aspects. Right? So, what sort of some of these? And it's not a large debate, is it? But what's what's some of the things that we often mention to the clients that can obviously um, provide some help with these with these animals apart from the medical treatment?
0: Well, you, I think. Um... I think we've all got a pretty good handle on the the medical treatments, um, but I think that um, that there are some of those peripheral husbandry issues, and interestingly enough, I I am seeing increasingly um, as I pay attention to ventilation um, and to um, environmental stimulation leading to exercise. Um, I think that that. Facilitates a lot of our medical care, and and I'm pretty confident that these days we're seeing um, much longer periods of time that we can manage our respiratory rats on these uh, on these um, medical protocols um, before they reach the point where quality of life is no longer acceptable. So, tell
1: me about. Tell me about some of these things. So, tell me about um, tell me about substrate and sort of um, enclosure, um, furniture, etc. For them, what things um, may help? Um, well, or, or conversely, what things are bad um, that may contribute to the chronic respiratory disease. What do you recommend to the clients as far as the set-up with their, their enclosure?
0: Well, the first thing we recommend is that um, with these rats, it's much, much more important to have very frequent changes um, that the substrates, just about any substrate, is going to cause problems um, if it's left for long periods of time, and particularly because our rats will urinate in the substrate, whatever it is. Um, there will be a buildup of those um, volatiles, ammonia, uh, nitrogenous wastes um, that are highly, highly irritant to, to the airways. And, and that's one of the big things, making sure that they're not there. But, of course, Brendan, the dust that's associated with particular substrates. Um, and one of my generally favourite substrates, the... Um, the uh, recycled newspaper kitty litter we use widely for many purposes in the hospital, um, it's probably one of the, the few times that we tend to not use um, uh, that product because um, it does tend to, uh, like many of the other routine substrates, um, provide a little bit of dust. The um the you've got to be careful about the wood shavings that you might use in those circumstances. We all are aware that um, the uh, many of the the shavings that are not specifically designed as uh, animal bedding may come from timbers that contain volatile oils and um, we might not be able to smell them, but the rat's close proximity to the substrate might be enough for those to set off a problem. So we're really usually looking at relatively plain um substrates that don't provide dust um and uh and um do have some absorptive qualities so sometimes we're just using absorbent paper or or newspaper brendan yes and i think i'm a bit skeptical about a lot
1: of those substrates that are marketed not just for the rodents but if we go broader with the reptiles etc and often they're just just a way to get rid of um Sort of waste products and, and 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 make a little bit of money to, to market it as a you know reptile specific bedding or or a rodent specific bedding and and I think you are spot on with making sure quizzing the clients and I often you know it's a good idea to get the clients to bring in a mm-hmm. sample of of the bedding that that they have in the enclosure because they might say look it's a recycled newspaper cat litter type product and that does vary those and I still recommend those but some of them yeah are, are really dusty and that so I think you've got to be careful what particular brands um, you're using for them um, and and making sure that we're trying to limit the limit the dust and the potential, you know, volatile products that might be released in those other sort of wooden sort of um, um, off um, chip, you know, w- wood chips, etc., that are used in there as well. Which leads me to the second one, which is ventilation, isn't it, Mark? And it's amazing what some... Um, some of the enclosures that people keep their rats and their mice in. Um, I don't know whether you get many up your way, Mark, but I've had a few clients over the years that um, house their rats or their mice just in a, a little um, aquarium. Um, in a
0: little aquarium.
1: Um, yeah, that too. That too. Yeah, that, that's, that's a very good one. Yeah. Um, as in it's not a good yeah. one. But it's a, good, a good example. A good but reply, not yeah. a good example. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, aquariums aren't good. No, I think because there's so many aquariums that you know, people, it's, it's not rare for people have a, a, an old cracked aquarium sitting around, and they decide to get a mouse or a rat, and so they use that as the enclosure. But the other one is a is a is a, is a you know a, a side table, a chest of drawers um, that might sit next to your bedroom, yes. um, um, next to your bed, Mark, and they just um, uh, open up one of those drawers and they convert it to the to the um, little little rattery um, or the mouse um, enclosure there, and again, virtually zero ventilation apart from when they have the drawer open, and and they might just literally have it opened a little bit, and that's that's their rat or mouse enclosure. A little bit, but like my um, problem with my moths, Mark. Um, in, um, how are, they, how are they going? Speaking of moths, well, I must I must admit that um, the. Com- combination of, one, washing all the clothes that were in there <laughs> that have been sat there for years at, um, at the back of the, the underpants at the back of the drawer there, and also um, using those um, eucalyptus-infused um, balls, um, wooden balls, Mark, um, seemed to have worked. That's
0: excellent news
1: seem to have worked so um there's they're spread everywhere um in all the drawers in the bedroom um those non-toxic little eucalyptus sort of um balls that i that i bought off eBay, and um, they seem to be doing the job so ventilation is really important for these um rodents mark and um yes um, i really stress that with the clients and yeah it's amazing what sort of Crazy enclosures that people have for their for their little ratties and their mice, and and yet there's there's very little, if any, ventilation for them. Just a little bit up the top, like those, like those um um little little aquarium tanks. Yeah. Mark
0: and and I think we we are strongly recommending that um that our uh, you know lots of our rat owners will allow their rats to wander around. Pretty freely before they're returned um, to their cage for safety reasons, and um, we like um, all wire ones. We like the high levels of ventilation that occur in in all wire uh, cages. So, um, yes. I think that's uh, our starting point. We do. What about um uh, um one of the diffi- one of the real difficulties I have in this topic is um. Is uh, things like um, incense and cigarette smoke, and and things that the people bring to the the um, circumstance that they often, well, I, d- I don't know about you, Brennan, but it's not uncommon for me to recognise the um, the yellowish stain and curved uh, indent of a cigarette smoker at the same time as they assure me that there's no way the um, the uh, rat could be exposed to cigarette smoke. Yes, how do you
1: handle fortunately, that? well, fortunately, we're seeing less and less apparent anyway um cigarette smokers um, as clients in our clinic mark, so I think that's uh, not living up in um like Newcastle with all the all the that's, uh, all right. that's
0: <laughs> right but it's not just cigarettes it's um uh and and even you know last year. Uh, when we had extended periods through December and January just before COVID hit, when there was lots of smoke around, um, uh, that, that yes,
1: we had lots of animals getting um, allergies and and with those sort of yeah those um those those um yeah those sort of toxic those blooms yeah. um, when we had all those. Um, all those crazy dust storms, etc. And yes. the
0: other thing is that's happened to me is um, that, you know, I'll be running through, there's nothing that could be irritating your rats, um, you know, no foul odours, the bedding's clean, there's no ammonia, and they go, oh, yes, no, there's no chance of that because we've got a scented candle in the room and that masks it all. Yes, yes. So we don't want
1: any of those things, Mark. We want good ventilation, fresh air, and don't, Put your rat in an aquarium. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll end up needing a little flotation device um, to keep <laughs> it at the top. It? Um, other, so a couple of other just general things before we get on the other the, the other half of this, which was the interesting topic of, of the ethics of treating these animals with chronic, chronic respiratory disease or the rodents. Anyway, is um, the simple act of making sure they are on a good diet, Mark. Um, and as you know, with with when because we deal mostly with unusual pets, it is amazing how many of the patients we see that are not quite right of any species that just by the simple act of... Fixing their diet, Mark, putting them on a half-decent diet or better, they magically um, improve um, from all these weird and wonderful um, clinical signs that they have. Once they're on a decent diet after a few weeks, they're they're a hell of a lot better. So good diet, Mark. So what's your recommendation for the basics of a good diet for these rats and and mice? Um, Cheese?
0: (laughs) Of course. Um, I think the key thing um, is to have a good quality uh, rat uh, specific rat, um, um, you know, the base of the diet should be one of those pellets. Just the one that we recommend most frequently, obviously, the one we have on the shelf is the Oxbow product. Um, but um, then, you know, just an occasional grain or um, the, the key thing we think about with the diet with our rats, Brendan, is that we want to um, control the calories that, Rats uh, um, that even carry just a little bit of extra weight, um, it massively increases the difficulty they have in breathing. And if they have any pulmonary compromise and they're moving a heavier weight of the the fat that's subcutaneously around the chest, if they've got to push air through a narrowed uh, oropharynx because they're chubby cheeks impinge, um, that plays a huge role in their quality of life. And so um, just making sure that we do have that high quality base to the diet with one of high quality pellets and that we limit the total caloric intake, that it's not just ad lib, um, that we measure out how much they get each day and we um, keep an eye on their weight.
1: And I think that's really important point, Mark, you you often or always tend to recommend to the clients to actually weigh the amount of the, that good quality palated food um, and they get X grams and that's all they get for that twenty four 12 or 24 hours, um, and then they don't go over it. And then the other part of the, the what I recommend, Mark, for a good quality diet is then almost like an ad, ad lib amount of um, a variety of um, vegetable matter, um, giving them things to both eat but also play around and exercise their mind as well. Um, so I tend to my, my sort of one-minute, Recommendation for clients is a small amount of a good quality rat or rodent pellet um, and then having a second bowl of um, vegetable matter, which is ad lib, whatever's in season, mainly leafy sort of edges and that, but it can be virtually a wide range of, of vegetables.
0: Mm. yummy. <laughs> okay, let's
1: jump into, and what, what's the heaviest rat that you've seen, Mark, oh, pet rat?
0: <laughs> um... I I I wouldn't guarantee this is the heaviest, but they get over a kilo. We've had more than one over a kilo.
1: Yeah, that's heavy. I think the heaviest I've had is nine hundred and sixty. Yeah, so it's
0: they're fat rats, aren't they? <laughs> I think um I I definitely have the sensation that they're not long for our you know we all know that a um two three four year old rat is uh, ripe. Old age for a, a rat, and um, those ones that are nine hundred, a thousand grams, they're, they're unlikely to make those ripe old ages, in my opinion, Brendan. Yes,
1: well, that's a bit of a segue to um, what you wanted to have a brief chat about, and that's the ethics of treating chronic respiratory disease in rodents, Mark. So, what? Hop up on your soapbox, and well, it's
0: interesting. It's, it's, t- it's- Tell us what you want to tell us. Tell us. Well, the reason I raised this topic was because I I hope, like, there's there. In when you get to a certain age, Brendan, you get to a certain age, and you start thinking about your legacy. What are you going to leave behind? And I'd like to think that amongst the the um you know many belly laughs that um someone says, oh, you know. That, Mark, he was um, he was pretty good with his antibiotic stewardship. He did the right thing. You know, he didn't add to um, antibiotic resistance. He was conscious of all these sorts of things. I think most veterinarians would, somewhere in their vast legacy, appreciate the same sentiment. Um, and, of course, the dilemma becomes uh, in being a veterinarian who looks at rats, what do you do when you literally have to uh, decide to, um, in some form or another, maybe run a little bit against the general guiding principles of um, of excellent antibiotic stewardship. And I suppose I wanted to use this forum to um, to canvass what, first of all, what other people thought about it, and encourage them to send us their ideas. But also just to point out that I think this is one of those circumstances where. Um, where it is fairly reasonable to first of all um, make a plan for extensive antibiotic treatment and maybe even uh, things like pulsatile um, episodic, uh, planned episodic treatment, not waiting until the condition relapses, but in, indeed planning specific antibiotic use the the use of multiple antibiotics um, the use of, of uh, um, some antibiotics that might be considered primarily bacteriostatic um, with bactericidal drugs um, and um, and treating the the collection of uh, rats as a um, as a as an as a herd or a uh, um, what what is the collective name for a group of rats but treating them as a group rather than um, making it necessary for for a client to bring in each individual rat each time they need antibiotics um, and I wanted to um, to you know uh, espouse my personal opinion um, that provided the veterinarian has a an existing um, relationship with the client and a history that they've discussed um, uh, the details and nature of this disease that they maintain um, communication about it. I don't think it's inappropriate or uh, unethical to um, to prescribe antibiotics uh, outside what we would normally um, routinely think as a as a sensible way to do it.
1: Yes. Uh... Do you think there'll come a time when it will be something that the the veterinary boards may look at and say, um, you know, long term treatment or control of respiratory disease in in pet rats and mice is a no no based on based on issues with those particular antibiotics? I,
0: I I don't think they will. That's my gut feeling. I don't think it's likely. It's
1: a mischief. It's- of rats, Mark? That's
0: a mischief. Of course it is. I should have looked that up before. A,
1: a group of mice or a group of rats, yeah, a mischief of rats. Um, well, that's not quite as controversial as what I thought you'd <laughs> be, <Mayor> Mark. <laughs> and I think it's, a, it, it, I presume, uh, are you already doing that, treating treating some of these like a herd, herd health situation as far as how often you'd see that Particular client if they have uh, uh, several rats a mischief of rats um, that are on on and off the antibiotics. Market. Yes,
0: yep. We definitely have a number of clients who um, who we would you know initially they might have some of them might have seven eight nine ten rats. Um, we would counsel them to uh, separate the ones that have respiratory disease from the ones that don't. We would counsel them to uh, try and develop a. Um, some form of all-in, all-out, you know, wait, have this cohort, let them go through uh, their life cycle um, and do not add new ones to the collection. Um, And, you know, we might do a a consult that looks at um, a significant proportion or all of them um, and then... Uh, be happy to make a plan to prescribe antibiotics for, um, you know, uh, 12 weeks, maybe 24 weeks, uh, maintain contact and get some vital information from the um, the people. Uh, make, maybe even we've got a couple of clients now who regularly send us short bits of footage that we add to the medical record. Um, and then uh, maybe pick selected animals to do progress exams. Yeah, this would be a stand pretty standard way that we deal with maybe half a dozen of our rat clients at the moment. Yes,
1: very similar, Mark, in my practice with um, those good clients. And it, it's a balance, isn't it? it? It's I think it's a little bit analogous to, to those chronic conditions in, in any species, you know, including dogs and cats where... It's a balance between how often is it is it um, ethical, I suppose, to do you know complete bloods every every week or two or three or, or do, can we string that out to, to several, several months or so? Um, and, and doing the right thing by the animal and making sure we're monitoring things as far as the medications as well. And the same with the visits, the revisits with the animals. And, um, as long as we, that, what, what's the phrase that the vet boards use, Mark, that the animals under your care and it's, and, and it's, um, seen frequently enough, um, and- um, whatever that may be. And, and I know that there might be some, legislative areas where they note specific um, time periods, don't they, Mark? I don't but, think they do. I don't, don't. They,
0: I, uh, some location. Actually, no, I don't think they... I think by and large most of the legislation is, in Australia at least, is framed in terms of... Um, uh, tail, tailoring it for the individual. Well, I think mm. that the veterinarian has to justify um, the the client-patient uh, veterinarian relationship relationship um and the circumstances you know that that um you know you have to you you would never be uh seen to have done the right thing if you had not seen the animals at all ever and then were to prescribe antibiotics that would be outside our our remit and would be um cause for serious concern uh, but if you have um you know it's like an animal that has seizures um, you when you first initially establish them on uh, um, anticonvulsants you you are doing um, blood work to make sure that uh, you're not doing damage to their liver and that you're maintaining therapeutic levels. But once an animal becomes stabilised, you're not going to do that every three or four weeks. As you said, you're going to stretch it out to six or 12 months while the animal's stable and, um, and maintain a dialogue. Um, make sure that uh, you communicate with them and, and touch on the main things to look out for and uh, maximise the animal's quality of life.
1: Well said. It's almost as if you've um, know about this legislation sort of stuff, there, Mark. Um, any any final comments before we um, before we head off and come back again next week? Well, the only
0: other the only other ethical consideration, and um, you and I say this quite regularly, is that um, the respiratory disease in um, in rodents is one of those things that um, that I think we should always talk to people about its inexorable decline, despite appropriate treatment, despite appropriate husbandry. There is almost always a point at which um, everything decompensates. Um, And it's not unreasonable to canvas the humane euthanasia at, um, you know, they don't necessarily have to be in end-stage dyspnea for us to contemplate humane euthanasia. There are many animals, many rats that we know are headed in that direction in the next few weeks that we talk about euthanasia. And I think it's good in the earliest stages of this disease to um, get people across the idea that they're going to have to make that decision at some point. Yes.
1: And I do sort of hint at that even in that very first consult with that client with the respiratory Rodent mark. Um, when I talk about the course of the disease and that some of them aren't around very quickly, and others last longer, if we're lucky with, with, with control and, and, and therapy, um, and I do mention that it does get them in the end, um, and we we may even have a short discussion about that fairly early on in the course, and it's always good to good to start canvas those those things um when we know the inevitable is going to happen isn't it um, and, and unfortunately earlier than we think with some of these animals like these animals that are not quite long lived and they have these diseases that are endemic in the population there i didn't want to end on a bad <laughs> note there Mark. but um i think the outro man's here and we will talk to you all next week thanks for listening